For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do his good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Great to be gathered with you today. Honestly, thinking through last year when Rachel and I were at this training school in Mexico, uh, one of the things that we missed the most was being a part of the church gatherings on Sunday. And so when I say that it's great to be gathered with you, like, I really mean it. This, uh, every week, Rachel and I have just been like, man, thank goodness that we get to go and worship and be a part of the people of God. It's something that when we didn't have it last year in Mexico, we really felt that lack. And so, man, I'm really glad to be gathered with you um, and for, yeah, the opportunity to share from the Word for those of you who don't know me, again, my name is Blake. Um, yeah, and like I said, you got a little bit of information about what Rachel and I are doing from the Q&A uh, regarding our plans, but I want to start off by sharing a little bit more of my story. Um, so first, I just want to look at Joel and just say, like, man, I appreciate Joel so much um, from his shepherding me, from getting to sit under his preaching, um, the countless hours of life-on-life -life discipleship. I'm just so thankful for you. Um, and what a gift to have Joel in my life. You see, I, Joel and I have been walking through life for about five years now. And uh, man, we've spent a lot of time together uh, over the five years. Um, man, just three to four days up until last year, a week together. And so just really appreciate him. But it was about five years ago or a little bit more that I was working behind the bar at a little restaurant called Village Pizza. Sorry, I'm gonna try not to cry. Man, <laughs> um, I was just lost and in darkness and uh, <clears throat> searching for hope and had no idea where to find it. Um, Joel stumbled in one day, he had his camera in hand and taking these artsy photos, posting them on social media, hashtag shop local. You guys know Joel. But in all seriousness, it was uh, through conversation with Joel that day that he invited me to Summit Crossing in Athens. And it was at Summit um, <clears throat> that the Lord transformed my heart to uh, believe the gospel. You see, uh, I grew up thinking <clears throat> that I needed to be good enough to earn salvation. As far as I was concerned, I needed to be a morally good person, uh, and that God would look on me with delight for my works. But then eventually, after years of failing and falling short, I realized, man, how difficult it is to put up a front and pretend that I'm a lot better than I truly am. You see, I was a pretty messed up dude. Uh, I actually began walking in darkness, and honestly, I was walking confidently just in rebellion against God. Uh, but this is exactly where the Lord met me, and he opened my eyes, man, and he led me to see my sin, but he led me to see his abounding grace. Blake, you are dead in your sin. You can't work your way to me, but I've come to you. You are forgiven. And as the Lord opened my eyes to understand and believe the gospel, true transformation began to take place in my life. I was given life, and I was seeing this clear transformation in the way that I lived. I was a child of God, and I was given this secure hope that one day all things would be made right, 
And that was a sure deal. And I share this bit of my story because I think it leads right into our passage that the saving work of Christ brings transformation and hope to those who are his. And since we've been in Titus, uh, just to look back, we've seen Paul laying out instructions for Titus to set right what was left undone in the context of these churches in Crete. And so Paul's walked us through the church elders and the dangers of false teachers teaching a false gospel. Uh, and then he's walked us through the family of God. And it's just like Paul to not go too far without reminding us where our hope truly is. So today, that's what we're going to see, this flood of hope uh, for the church in the gospel. <clears throat> so I want to walk through our passage with three different main points, because I've seen it seems to be the way Paul lays it out in his passage. And the first point is that the work of Christ saves. Look at the first half, uh, half of the verse, uh, verse 11, with me. You can follow along in your Bibles, or we'll have it on the screen. Titus 2, 11, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, or it's been revealed, it has showed up. Paul goes straight to the gospel, pointing to the incarnation of Jesus, coming to earth and making his dwelling with humanity. You see, this was the plan of God from the beginning of the story of redemption, that God would send one to defeat the enemy, to restore the relationship between God and man, and how would he do it? He would come to us himself. Look at John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus coming to dwell among us is the appearance of the grace of God. That word appearing that Paul uses gets at the idea that the grace of God was revealed or it was made manifest. And I love the words here in John 1 that we observed his glory, like people actually laid eyes on the glory and grace of God in the person of Jesus. And as he came to earth, he made his dwelling among people like you and me. He spent 30 years living life and growing and working in relationship with people around him. And that's before he began his ministry. And then in the Gospels, we see him living life with so many, from his close group of his disciples to the crowds that would follow him, joining friends at a wedding, sitting around the table with the outcast with the broken, those who needed healing, who would come to him, he would dwell, make his dwelling among us. And Paul speaks of him in Colossians as the image of the invisible God. Like, if you want to know what our gracious God looks like, look to Christ. And what a wonder that the king of creation came to dwell with his creation. And when he came to dwell among us, he was the grace of God appearing but he didn't just come to live amongst us. He had a plan. Look at the second half of verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The plan from the beginning of time was for Jesus to pay the price of our redemption. And as Jesus came, he knew what his ultimate purpose was. As he re revealed the ways of the kingdom of God, he upset and challenged and dismantled the ways of wicked people in positions of power, the very people who were intended to anticipate the coming of Jesus with hope and life 
were the ones who abused and used the law of God for their own power, their own purposes and plans, rejecting what Jesus was ushering in. And as he was fulfilling all that was promised, he walked faithfully according to the plan that had been from the beginning of time. You see, Jesus had come to bring salvation. And how would he do it? Well, the only way to salvation was for the blood of a spotless lamb to be shed in order to pay the penalty that sin required. And Jesus was just that, the spotless lamb. And he had come to pay that penalty of sin to purchase and cleanse and redeem a people for God. And Paul is very explicit about how Jesus brought salvation. Look at verse 14 of our passage. He gave himself for us. See, Jesus was taken by the hands of wicked men and led to be hung on a device of torture, a wooden cross, and to die a painful and terrible death. But make no mistake, he was not taken out of his own will. He gave himself over to these things. He gave himself to be beaten, mocked, and torn. He gave himself to be put on public display, to be shamed and tortured for all to see. And he gave himself over to death because he knew that it was the only way to pay the penalty of sin. But after he died, he was buried for three days, and he rose from the grave, burying death and displaying his power over it and over sin. And he paid the price of our redemption and rose to life in victory. And it was his blood that was shed that brings salvation that Paul is talking about here in our passage. And Paul includes at the end of verse 11 that it is salvation for all people, showing us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. There is no other way except through him. And the thing that I want us to understand that points back to our main point is that there is an effect of the work of Christ, and that is that it saves you. The work of Christ saves. When a person believes in the work of Christ on their behalf, they are counted righteous in the Father's eyes. The work is finished. The penalty for all of your sin has been paid. When we believe the gospel, God looks on us, and instead of seeing our sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And this effect of the blood of Christ is past. It's done. The work of Christ saves. And that brings me to a second point. The work of Christ transforms. See, the saving work of Christ is active in the present, transforming those who are God's people. Look at verse 12. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So this salvation that has been secured in the past has very evident changes on the way that we live in the present. One thing that I believe Paul is showing us here is the same idea we saw last week in verse 10, that the teaching of God is adorned or made beautiful when believers show tangible fruit in their lives. As we deny what our flesh most naturally clings to, as we stop rebelling against God and we submit to his good rule and reign, as we grow in Christ's likeness, we are displaying to the world the beautiful truth that the blood of Christ transforms you. We're making the gospel beautiful. And there are tangible fruits that we can see in the lives of those who are his. But I want to be clear 
that these tangible fruits cannot be manufactured from within. We cannot produce these within ourselves. This must be a work of the Spirit within us. Recently, my wife and I were sitting with Kevin Perry in a counseling session, and Kevin asked, where is your level of joy right now? Like, one out of ten, how joyful are you? Now, honestly, I answered, I feel like a four, maybe. Like, I'm just exhausted. I'm not feeling joyful. And Kev said, you know, when I find my joy is running super low, it's often because I'm trying to work something out without the Spirit. I'm trying to do it on my own. I need to go sit with Jesus and let him fill me up. Another way to put it, I need to go be with Jesus before I can do anything for Jesus. And we can live out, we cannot live out the type of life that Paul calls us to in these verses without a heart that's been transformed, a heart that's led by the Spirit. But a transformed heart is exactly what the Lord promises to give us through the work of Christ. So we saw in verse 14 that Christ gave himself for our salvation. But look at the rest of the verse with me and see how it speaks to the transformation of those that he saves. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So for the believer, once again, we see the work of Christ having these transforming effects, redeeming you, cleansing you, adopting you in as God's people, and instilling in you this eagerness for good works. But like I said, this has to come from the Spirit. We can't just manufacture these. And I want to look at a passage in Ezekiel that helps us see that when Christ brought salvation, he also brings a completely transformed heart to those that he saves. Look at Ezekiel 36 with me. Sorry, I lost my spirit. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. These promises that we see here in Ezekiel are accomplished through Christ. Let's look at verse 14 again. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. We see in Ezekiel a people that are made clean, cleansed from all impurities and idols, a people who are redeemed from all lawlessness and made pure. And this is the same language that Paul uses in Titus to describe the people of God. The heart of this passage, though, in Ezekiel, I want us to see in verses 26 to 28 that the Lord promises to give a new heart and a new spirit to his people. He will literally rip out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He will give his spirit to dwell within his people. And this is exactly what happens when Christ saves you. As we trust in Christ, our cold, dead heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. And the spirit of God literally comes to dwell in us, changing us and causing us to follow his statutes and ordinances. And when the spirit of God is dwelling in us, we are spirit-led, 
there are two effects that I want us to see. First, we're able to function out of our identity as God's people. As the passage said, we are a people for God's own possession. And the Lord does not just look on us and, and just put up with us. He actually says, I delight in you. You are my people and I am your God. We get to be with God as his child in a restored relationship with him. And secondly, we delight in obeying his good rule and reign. See, Paul describes the believers in our text as eager to do good works. And that is not something that we can just manufacture to be eager. Like, I'm a lazy person. I like to do what I like to do. But Paul says that they are eager to do good works. And that is the work of the Spirit overflowing in our lives, making us eager to live for the Lord. So the emphasis that I want you to see here is that the saving work of Christ continuously transforms us in the present age by giving us a new heart and a new spirit. And that brings me to my third and final point. We saw that Christ saves, he transforms. That's in verses 12, or 11, 12, and 14. And now in verse 13, we're going to see the work of Christ brings hope. So look at verse 13 with me. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. While we wait. In a lot of ways, the Christian life just naturally is a life of waiting and looking forward and longing for what is to come. This happens in the day-to-day, and it happens like on a more major scale, looking forward to eternity. But maybe it's, um, you know, just, yeah, I'm, I'm longing for God to change my circumstances. Uh, maybe it's God, like, would you bring healing and restoration to me? Or maybe it's just like, I've had a crappy day, and I'm literally just waiting for the morning. Lord, would you bring, like, new mercies in the, the coming morning? Like, or I'm just waiting for you to move. But Paul here is pretty specific about what we're waiting for. The blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in chapters 1 and 3 of Titus, Paul refers to our hope as the hope of eternal life. But here he specifies that the hope is the appearing of Jesus. So I, I, I don't think the two are separate. I think actually that when we see the two hopes that Paul refers to in Titus as both the hope of eternal life and the hope of the appearing of Jesus, we can see this beautiful truth that the heart of eternal life is that we will be in the presence of the King. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church in Corinth as he describes what it'll be like when we're fully in the presence of our Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now... We see only as a, reflect, or a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. See, the blessed hope of a, of a believer is that Christ will appear again, and we will get to see him face to face. We will see his glory with unveiled face. And as we see him, the thing that really blows me away here is that we will get to share in that glory. You look at this truth that we find in a couple passages. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And then Romans 8, 
verse 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Like what? This is incredible. And it's incredible hope that we long for the appearing of the glory of Christ and with his appearing, the hope that we will be made like him and get to share in his glory. Paul calls it a blessed hope or a a joyful hope, and that's what we long for. And this is the effect that the blood of Christ has on a believer. There is this past saving work of Christ, a present transforming work of Christ, and a future glorifying work of Christ where he finishes what he started. And this is this future work that I'm talking about is as good as done. Like Christ promised it, and we've seen how faithful he is to keep his word. And I want you to see the complete grace that is given to us through the work of Christ. So look at these blessings. I'm just going to list things that came to me whenever I was looking at this passage, both here and now in the present, and also to come. So here and now, we are redeemed and freed from the power of sin. We are cleansed, we're justified, we are considered righteous, and we are free from sin. We get to flee darkness and sin and death. We get to joyfully run away from it. We get the Spirit to dwell within us. We get to enjoy God and worship Him. Like We actually get to delight in the Lord, and we get to be a part of the people of God. Like I was saying at the beginning, like, man, what a joy to gather with you. We get the church, we get community, we get to hear the word preached, and we get to be discipled in the day-to-day life. And then we get to joyfully wait for his coming, knowing that with it brings glory and sharing in his honor and glory. And that's just here and now. And in the gifts to come, like we will get to be in the presence of the king. We will get to see him with unveiled face in all his glory, and we will get to share in that glory. And man, like all things will be made new. But it's more than just gifts that we get to receive. See, Paul ends the passage with the same phrase that he started the chapter in chapter 2. Paul says, Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. See, Paul is saying to Titus, like, this is the hope of the gospel. Proclaim these things. Like, this is what you stand on. Hold firm to it. Protect it. And proclaim it. And I want to encourage you, as Paul encouraged Titus, like proclaim these things. Like the work of Jesus is the only hope for salvation. And it is what brings transformation here and now and hope for eternity to come. And it's the message of salvation, like I said, for all people. And it's still ongoing. And the church has a part to play in spreading this message, both like here locally in Decatur and to the ends of the earth like Rachel and I hope to one day get to do. And like, man, the church actually is the means by which God displays his glory to the entire cosmos. Like what a gift of grace that we aren't just saved from something, but we're saved for something. Like we get the gift of salvation. How incredible. We also get to be a part of God's plan and proclaiming these truths until all have heard. So I want to leave you with this encouragement to see the gospel, the saving work of Christ, as the only thing that can bring true transformation and hope. And I want to say, proclaim these things and stand firm on this message. Let's pray.